Second Chronicle of New Chronicles of Rebecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. New Chronicles of Rebecca by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Second Chronicle. Daughters of Zion. Abijah Flagg was driving over to Wareham on an errand for old Squire Winship, whose general chore boy and farmer's assistant he had been for some years he passed emma jane perkins house slowly as he always did she was only a little girl of thirteen and he a boy of fifteen or sixteen but somehow for no particular reason he liked to see the sun shine on her thick braids of reddish-brown hair he admired her china-blue eyes too and her amiable friendly expression he was quite alone in the world and he always thought that if he had anybody belonging to him he would rather have a sister like emma jane perkins than anything else within the power of providence to bestow when she herself suggested this relationship a few years later he cast it aside with scorn having changed his mind in the interval but that story belongs to another time and place emma jane was not to be seen in the garden field or at the window and abijah turned his gaze to the large brick house that came next on the other side of the quiet village street it might have been closed for a funeral neither miss miranda nor miss jane sawyer sat at their respective windows knitting nor was rebecca randall's gypsy face to be discerned ordinarily that will-o'-the-wispish little person could be seen heard or felt wherever she was village must be a bed i guess mused abijah as he neared the robinson's yellow cottage where all the blinds were closed and no sign of life showed on porch or in shed no taint neither he thought again as his horse crept cautiously down the hill for from the direction of the robinson's barn chamber there floated out into the air certain burning sentiments set to the tune of antioch the words to a lad brought up in the orthodox faith were quite distinguishable daughter of zion from the dust exalt thy fallen head even the most religious youth is stronger on first lines than others but abijah pulled up his horse and waited till he caught another familiar verse beginning that's rebecca carrying the air and i can hear emma jane's also say to the north give up thy charge and hold not back o south and hold not back o south etc land ain't they smart seesawing up and down in that part they learnt in singing school i wonder what they're acting out seeing him tunes up in the barn chamber some of rebecca's doings i'll be bound get up alex alec pursued his serene and steady trot up the hills on the edgewood side of the river till at length he approached the green common where the old tory hill meeting-house stood its white paint and green blinds showing fair and pleasant in the afternoon sun both doors were open 
and as abijah turned into the wareham road the church melodeon pealed out the opening bars of the missionary hymn and presently a score of voices sent the good old tune from the choir loft out to the dusty road shall we whose souls are lighted with wisdom from on high shall we to men be knighted the lamp of life deny land exclaimed abijah under his breath they're at it up here too that explains it all there's a missionary meeting at the church and the girls weren't allowed to come so they held one of their own and i bet you it's the liveliest of the two abijah flagg's shrewd yankee guesses were not far from the truth though he was not in possession of all the facts it will be remembered by those who have been in the way of hearing rebecca's experiences in riverboro that the reverend and mrs birch returned missionaries from the far east together with some of their children all born under syrian skies as they always explained to interested inquirers spent a day or two at the brick house and gave parlor meetings in native costume these visitors coming straight from foreign lands to the little main village brought with them a nameless enchantment to the children and especially to rebecca whose imagination always kindled easily the romance of that visit had never died in her heart and among the many careers that dazzled her youthful vision was that of converting such syrian heathen as might continue in idol worship after the birch's efforts in their behalf had ceased she thought at the age of eighteen she might be suitably equipped for storming some minor citadel of mohammedanism and mrs birch had encouraged her in the idea not it is to be feared because rebecca showed any surplus of virtue or christian grace but because her gift of language her tact and sympathy and her musical talent seemed to fit her for the work it chanced that the quarterly meeting of the main missionary society had been appointed just at the time when a letter from mrs birch to miss jane sawyer suggested that rebecca should form a children's branch in riverboro mrs birch's real idea was that the young people should save their pennies and divert a gentle stream of financial aid into the parent fund thus learning early in life to be useful in such work either at home or abroad the girls themselves however read into her letter no such modest participation in the conversion of the world and wishing to effect an organization without delay they chose an afternoon when every house in the village was vacant and seized upon the robinson's barn chamber as the place of meeting rebecca alice robinson emma jane perkins candace milliken and persis watson each with her hymn-book had climbed the ladder leading to the haymow a half an hour before abijah flagg had heard the strains of daughters of zion floating out to the road rebecca being an executive person had carried besides her hymn-book a silver call-bell and pencil and paper an animated discussion regarding one of two names for the society the junior heralds or the daughters of zion had resulted in a unanimous vote for the latter and rebecca had been elected president at an early stage of the meeting she had modestly suggested that alice robinson as the granddaughter of a missionary to china would be more eligible no said alice with entirely good nature whoever is elected president you will be rebecca you're that kind 
so you might as well have the honor i'd just as leaves be secretary anyway if you should want me to be treasurer i could be as well as not said persis watson suggestively for you know my father keeps china banks at his store ones that will hold as much as two dollars if you will let them i think he'd give us one if i happened to be treasurer the three principal officers were thus elected at one fell swoop and with an entire absence of that red tape which commonly renders organization so tiresome candace millikins suggested that perhaps she'd better be vice-president as emma jane perkins was always so bashful we ought to have more members she reminded the other girls but if we had invited them the first day they'd have all wanted to be officers especially minnie smelly so it's just as well not to ask them till another time is there is a meserve too little to join i can't think why anybody named meserve should have a baby called thirza said rebecca somewhat out of order though the meeting was carried on with small recognition of parliamentary laws it always makes me want to say thirza meserver heaven preserve her or thirza meserver do we deserve her she's little but she's sweet and absolutely without guile i think we ought to have her is guile the same as guilt inquired emma jane perkins yes the president answered exactly the same except one is written in the other spoken language rebecca was rather good at imbibing information and a master hand at imparting it written language is for poems and graduations and occasions like this kind of like a best sunday go to meeting dress that you wouldn't like to go blueberrying in for fear of getting it spotted i just as leaves get guile spotted as not affirmed the unimaginative emma jane i think it's an awful foolish word but now we're all named and our officers elected what do we do first it's easy enough for mary and martha birch they just play at missionarying because their folks work at it same as living and i used to make believe be blacksmiths when we were little it must be nicer missionarying in those foreign places said persis because on Africa shores in india's plains and other spots where satan reigns that's father's favorite hymn there's always a heathen bowing down to wood and stone you can take away his idols if he'll let you and give him a bible and the beginning's all made but who'll we begin on jethro small oh he's entirely too dirty and foolish besides exclaimed candace why not ethan hunt he swears dreadfully he lives on nuts and is a hermit and it's a mile to his camp through the thick woods my mother'll never let me go there objected alice there's uncle tut judson he's too old he's most a hundred and deaf as a post complained emma jane besides his married daughter is a sabbath school teacher why doesn't she teach him to behave i can't think of anybody just right to start on don't talk like that emma jane and rebecca's tone had a tinge of reproof in it we are a corporated body named the daughters of zion and of course we've got to find something to do foreigners are the easiest there's a scotch family at north riverboro an english one in edgewood and one cuban man at milkins mills haven't foreigners got any religion of their own 
inquired Persis curiously. Yes, I suppose so, kind of a one, but foreigners' religions are never right. Ours is the only good one. This was from Candace, the deacon's daughter. I do think it must be dreadful, being born with a religion and growing up with it, and then finding out it's no use and all your time wasted. Here Rebecca sighed, chewed a straw, and looked troubled. Well, that's your punishment for being a heathen, retorted Candace, who had been brought up strictly. But I can't, for the life of me, see how you can help being a heathen if you're born in Africa, persisted Persis, who was well named. You can't. Rebecca was clear on this point. I had that all out with Mrs. Birch when she was visiting at Miranda. She says they can't help being heathen, but if there's a single mission station in the whole of Africa, they're accountable if they don't go there and get saved. Are there plenty of stages and railroads? asked Alice. Because there must be dreadfully long distances, and what if they couldn't pay the fare? That part of it is so dreadfully puzzly, we mustn't talk about it, please, said Rebecca, her sensitive face quivering at the force of the problem. Poor little soul! She did not realize that her superiors in age and intellect had spent many a sleepless night over that same accountability of the heathen. It's too bad the Simpsons have moved away, said Candace. It's so seldom you can find a real big wicked family like that to save, with only Clarabelle and Susan Good in it. And numbers count for so much, continued Alice. My grandmother says if missionaries can't convert about so many in a year, the board advises them to come back to America and take up some other work. I know. Rebecca corroborated. And it's the same with revivalists. At the centennial picnic at North Riverboro, a revivalist sat opposite to Mr. Ladd and Aunt Jane and me, and he was telling about his wonderful success in Bangor last winter. He'd converted a hundred and thirty in a month, he said, or about four and a third a day. I just finished fractions, so I asked Mr. Ladd how the third of a man could be converted. He laughed and said it was just the other way, that the man was a third converted. Then he explained that if you were trying to convince a person of his sin on a Monday and couldn't quite finish by sundown, perhaps you wouldn't want to sit up all night with him, and perhaps he wouldn't want you to. So you'd begin on again on a Tuesday, and you couldn't say just which day he was converted because it would be two-thirds on Monday and one-third on Tuesday. Mr. Ladd is always making fun. And the board couldn't expect any great things of us girls, new beginners, suggested Emma Jane, who was being constantly warned against tautology by her teacher. I think it's awful rude anyway to go right out and try to convert your neighbors. But if you borrow a horse and go to Edgewood Lower Corner or Milliken's Mills, I suppose that makes it foreign missions. Would we each go alone or wait upon them with a committee? as they did when they asked Deacon Tuttle for a contribution for the new hearse. Asked Persis. Oh, we must go alone, decided Rebecca. It would be much more refined and delicate. Aunt Miranda says that one man alone could never get a subscription from Deacon Tuttle, and that's the reason they sent a committee. But it seems to me Mrs. Birch couldn't mean for us to try and convert people when we're none of us even church members, except Candace. I think all we can do is to persuade them to go to meeting in Sabbath school, or give money for the hearse or the new horse sheds. Now let's all think quietly for a minute or two who's the very most heathenish and reprehensiblest person in Riverboro. After a very brief period of silence, the words, 
Jacob Moody fell from all lips with entire accord. You're right, said the president tersely. And after singing hymn number 274 to be found on the 66th page, we will take up the question of persuading Mr. Moody to attend divine service or the minister's Bible class, he not having been in the meeting house for lo, these many years. Daughter of Zion, the power that hath saved thee, extolled with the harp and the timbrel should be. Sing without reading, if you please, omitting the second stanza, hymn 274, to be found on the 66th page of the new hymn book or on page 32 of Emma Jane Perkins' old one. It is doubtful if the Reverend Mr. Birch had ever found in Syria a person more difficult to persuade than the already gospel-hardened Jacob Moody of Riverboro. Tall, gaunt, swathy, black-bearded, his masses of grizzled, uncombed hair and the red scar across his nose and cheek added to his sinister appearance. His tumble-down house stood on a rocky bit of land back of the Sawyer pasture, and the acres of his farm stretched out on all sides of it. He lived alone, ate alone, ploughed, planted, sowed, harvested alone, and was more than willing to die alone, unwept, unhonored, and unsung. The road that bordered upon his fields was comparatively little used by anyone, and notwithstanding the fact that it was thickly set with choke-cherry trees and blackberry bushes, it had been for years practically deserted by the children. Jacob's red astrakhan and granny garland trees hung thick with apples, but no Riverboro or Edgewood boy stole them, for terrifying accounts of the fate that had overtaken one urchin in times agone had been handed along from boy to boy, protecting the moody fruit far better than any police patrol. Perhaps no circumstances could have extenuated the old man's surly manners or his lack of all citizenly graces and virtues, but his neighbors commonly rebuked his present way of living and forgot the troubled past that had brought it about. The sharp-tongued wife, the unloving and disloyal sons, the daughter's hapless fate, and all the other sorry tricks that fortune had played upon him, at least, that was the way in which he had always regarded his disappointments and griefs. This, then, was the personage whose moral rehabilitation was to be accomplished by the daughters of Zion. But how? Who will volunteer to visit Mr. Moody? Blandly asked the President. Visit Mr. Moody? It was a wonder the roof of the barn chamber did not fall. It did, indeed echo the words and in some way make them sound more grim and satirical nobody'll volunteer rebecca rowena randall and you know it said emma jane why don't we draw lots when none of us wants to speak to him and yet one of us must this suggestion fell from persis watson who had been pale and thoughtful ever since the first mention of jacob moody she was fond of granny garland's she had once met Jacob, and as to what befell, well, we all have our secret tragedies. Wouldn't it be wicked to settle it that way? It's gamblers that draw lots. People did it in the Bible ever so often. It doesn't seem nice for a missionary meeting. These remarks fell altogether upon the President's bewildered ear the while, as she always said in compositions the while she was trying to adjust the ethics of this unexpected and difficult dilemma. 
it is a very puzzly question she said thoughtfully i could ask aunt jane if we had time but i suppose we haven't it doesn't seem nice to draw lots and yet how can we settle it without we know we mean right and perhaps it will be alice take this paper and tear off five narrow pieces all different lengths at this moment a voice from the distance floated up to the haymow a voice saying plaintively will you let me play with you girls Hulda has gone to ride and i'm all alone it was the voice of the absolutely without guile thirza meserve and it came at an opportune moment if she's going to be a member said persis why not let her come up and hold the lots should be real honest and not favor anybody it seemed an excellent idea and was followed up so quickly that scarcely three minutes ensued before the guileless one was holding the five scraps in her hot little palm laboriously changing their places again and again until they looked exactly alike and all rather soiled and wilted come girls draw commanded the president thirza you mustn't chew gum at a missionary meeting it isn't polite nor holy take it out and stick it somewhere till the exercises are over the five daughters of zion approached the spot so charged with fate and extended their trembling hands one by one then after a moment's silent clutch of their papers they drew nearer to one another and compared them emma jane perkins had drawn the short one becoming thus the destined instrument for jacob moody's conversion to a more seemly manner of life she looked about her despairingly as if to seek some painless and respectable method of self-destruction do let's draw over again she pleaded i'm the worst of all of us i'm sure to make a mess of it till i kind of get trained in rebecca's heart sank at this frank confession which only corroborated her own fears i'm sorry emmy dear she said but our only excuse for drawing lots at all would be to have it sacred we must think of it as a kind of sign almost like god speaking to moses in the burning bush oh i wish there was a burning bush right here cried the distracted and recalcitrant missionary how quick i'd step into it without even stopping to take off my garnet ring don't be such a scarecat emma jane exclaimed candace bracingly jacob moody can't kill you even if he has an awful temper trap right along now before you get more frightened shall we go cross lots with her rebecca and wait at the pasture gate then whatever happens alice can put it down in the minutes of the meeting in these terrible crises of life time gallops with such an incredible velocity that it seemed to emma jane only a breath before she was being dragged through the fields by the other daughters of zion the guileless little thirza panting in the rear at the entrance to the pasture rebecca gave her an impassioned embrace and whispering whatever you do be careful how you lead up lifted off the top rail and pushed her through the bars then the girls turned their backs reluctantly on the pathetic figure and each sought a tree under whose friendly shade she could watch and perhaps pray until the missionary should return from her field of labor alice robinson whose compositions were always marked ninety-six or ninety-seven a hundred symbolizing such perfection as could be attained in the mortal world of riverboro alice not only daughter but scribe of zion 
sharpened her pencil and wrote a few well-chosen words of introduction to be used when the records of the afternoon had been made by emma jane perkins and jacob moody rebecca's heart beat tumultuously under her gingham dress she felt that a drama was being enacted and though unfortunately she was not the central figure she had at least a modest part in it the short lot had not fallen to the properest daughter that she quite realized yet would any one of them succeed in winning jacob moody's attention in engaging him in pleasant conversation in bringing him to a realization of his mistaken way of life she doubted but at the same moment her spirits rose at the thought of the difficulties involved in the undertaking difficulties always spurred rebecca on but they daunted poor emma jane who had no little thrills of excitement and wonder and fear and longing to sustain her lagging soul that her interview was to be entered as minutes by a secretary seemed to her the last straw her blue eyes looked lighter than usual and had the glaze of china saucers her usually pink cheeks were pale but she pressed on determined to be a faithful daughter of zion and above all to be worthy of rebecca's admiration and respect rebecca can do anything she thought with enthusiastic loyalty and i mustn't be any stupider than i can help or she'll choose one of the other girls for her most intimate friend so mustering all her courage she turned into jacob moody's dooryard where he was chopping wood it's a pleasant afternoon mr moody she said in a polite but hoarse whisper rebecca's words lead up lead up ringing in clarion tones through her brain jacob moody looked at her curiously good enough i guess he growled but i don't never have time to look at afternoons emma jane seated herself timorously on the end of a large log near the chopping block supposing that jacob like other hosts would pause in his tasks and chat the block is kind of like an idol she thought i wish i could take it away from him and then perhaps he'd talk at this moment jacob raised his axe and came down on the block with such a stunning blow that emma jane fairly leaped into the air you'd better look out sissy or you'll get chips in the eye said moody grimly going on with his work the daughter of zion sent up a silent prayer for inspiration but none came and she sat silent giving nervous jumps in spite of herself whenever the axe fell upon the log jacob was cutting finally the host became tired of his dumb visitor and leaning on his axe he said look here sis what have you come for what's your errand do you want apples or cider or what speak out or get out one or t'other emma jane who had wrung her handkerchief into a clammy ball gave it a last despairing wrench and faltered wouldn't you like hadn't you better don't you think you'd ought to be more constant meeting and sabbath school jacob's axe almost dropped from his nerveless hand and he regarded the daughter of zion with unspeakable rage and disdain then the blood mounting in his face he gathered himself together and shouted you take yourself off that log and out of this dooryard double quick you impertinent sanctimous young one you just let me catch bill perkins child trying to teach me where i shall go at my age scholar i tell ye and if i see your pious candid little mug inside my fence again on such a business i'll chase ye down the hill or set the dog on ye school i tell ye 
Emma Jane obeyed orders summarily, taking herself off the log, out of the dooryard, and otherwise scuttling and scooting down the hill at a pace never contemplated even by Jacob Moody, who stood regarding her flying heels with a sardonic grin. Down she stumbled, the tears coursing over her cheeks and mingling with the dust of her flight. Blighted hope, shame, fear, rage, all tearing her bosom in turn, till with a hysterical shriek she fell over the bars and into Rebecca's arms, outstretched to receive her. The other daughters wiped her eyes and supported her almost fainting form, while Thurza, thoroughly frightened, burst into sympathetic tears and refused to be comforted. No questions were asked, for it was felt by all parties that Emma Jane's demeanor was answering them before they could be framed. He threatened to set the dog on me, she wailed presently, when, as they neared the Sawyer pasture, she was able to control her voice. He called me a pious Camden young one, and he said he'd chase me out of the dooryard if I ever came again. And he'll tell my father, I know he will, for he hates him like poison. All at once the adult point of view dawned upon Rebecca. She never saw it until it was too obvious to be ignored. Had they done wrong in interviewing Jacob Moody? Would Aunt Miranda be angry, as well as Mr. Perkins? Why was he so dreadful, Emmy? she questioned tenderly. What did you say first? How did you lead up to it? Emma Jane sobbed more convulsively, and wiped her nose and eyes impartially as she tried to think. I guess I never let up at all. Not a mite. I didn't know what you meant. I was set on an errand, and I went and done it the best I could. Emma Jane's grammar always lapsed in moments of excitement. And then Jake roared at me like Squire Winship's bull, and he called my face a mug. You shut up that secretary book, Alice Robinson. If you write down a single word, I'll never speak to you again. And I don't want to be a member another minute for fear of drawing another short lot. I've got enough of the Daughters of Zion to last me the rest of my life. I don't care who goes to meeting and who don't. The girls were at the Perkins gate by this time and Emma Jane went sadly into the empty house to remove all traces of the tragedy from her person before her mother should come home from the church. The others wended their way slowly down the street, feeling that their promising missionary branch had died almost as soon as it had budded. Goodbye, said Rebecca, swallowing lumps of disappointment and chagrin, as she saw the whole inspiring plan break and vanish into thin air like an iridescent bubble. It's all over, and we won't ever try it again. I'm going in to do overcasting as hard as I can, because I hate that the worst. Aunt Jane must write to Mrs. Birch that we don't want to be home missionaries. Perhaps we're not big enough, anyway. I'm perfectly certain it's nicer to convert people when they're yellow or brown or any color but white, and I believe it must be easier to save their souls than it is to make them go to meeting. End of the Second Chronicle